I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I've been a bus rider for many years. From my vantage point, taking the bus should be easy. Convenient? Well, that might be a stretch. But it definitely shouldn't be hard to do. A city runs best when all of its residents are able to get from point A to point B with as little difficulty as possible. This hour, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of an episode all about the state of our city's bus system, WeGo. We first aired this episode in October last year after WeGo rolled out some new route and schedule changes. They do this twice a year, and it's never too substantial. Just a refresh on bus routes and scheduling. WPLN special project editor and fill-in producer for this episode, Tony Gonzalez, broke it down for us. Yeah, so there were a few types of changes. Uh, for one, there were a, a seven bus routes that got slightly sort of changed what streets they're using. This is not major. Uh, they're not changing where those buses start or end their trips, uh, but they might move over a few streets here and there. Uh, 18 other bus routes got schedule adjustments. Uh, there was also an expansion for what's known as WeGo Link. So this is when you can use uh, Uber to get to your bus stop, hmm. uh, like if you kind of need to make that initial connection. Uh, so that only is available in certain areas in the city, uh, but they expanded that. So there's now uh, five bus routes where you can take an Uber for just $2 uh, to get to your initial bus stop. Uh, they also expanded uh, access on demand. These are the smaller buses that you might see on the streets. You can schedule those for a pickup. Uh, it's really helpful for people who use wheelchairs, especially. They extended the hours for the access ride uh, to midnight on weekdays. So if, if there's sort of a later night uh, activity, uh, now there's a little bit easier way to get that access service. So those are some of the types of changes that they just rolled out. Can you put this into perspective a little bit? Like what will bus riders actually notice? Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme, these are, are pretty small adjustments. I mean, there wasn't like a lot of news coverage of them or, you know, not a lot of uh, public discussion or anything like that. But if you're on one of these couple dozen routes, like, yeah, you're going to want to look at the the new schedule book. You know, you can look at that online or you can pick up the, the printout at the bus station. Okay, so I understand that when we go makes changes like this, they also watch pretty closely for several weeks to see how things are working. Now, Tony, you got to go behind the scenes at WeGo to see how that process works up close with WeGo's Deputy Chief Operating Officer, Dan Freudberg. What did you learn? So uh, in his office, he has like a triple computer monitor kind of set up so he can watch all these buses in real time and how they're doing. Okay. There were like probably like 100 little bus logos on the map, on the screen, kind of inching along. They're also color-coded, so they show whether the buses are early on time or running late. So our vehicle positions update about every 15 seconds with their with their current locations. So for example, um, looking at this particular vehicle, we can see that they're about three minutes behind schedule, which for us in terms of you know customer experience, that's good. We don't wanna be ahead of schedule because somebody could miss their vehicle, but if we're just a couple of minutes late and the vehicle's there more or less when people are expecting it. So in this case, you have two buses that are maybe going to arrive at the bus stop almost one after another. What can you do about that? You could ask the bus in front to just wait for an extra minute or two, something that's not too disruptive to the passengers that are already on board. Something else that we're looking at being able to do is use something called transit signal priority, where the bus can actually send a request to the traffic signal to, for example, uh, hold the green light for an extra few seconds to allow the bus to get through. 
So Freudberg, you know, he said he's been with WeGo about 12 years, and a lot of this type of data is new since he's joined in that time. Mm-hmm. The old method uh, was uh, analog, to say the least. I mean, they would literally have bus supervisors, you know, either riding the bus or going out and watching, kind of like pen and paper, uh, to see whether the buses were running on time. Now they've got kind of the high-tech thing going on. And that's a good thing. I mean, I could imagine someone trying to log the buses during a rainy day. It's got to be pretty tough. (laughs) So they can watch the buses in real time. What does that mean for bus riders? Well, so day to day, I mean, it means that they they have the chance to make little adjustments to try to make the bus run on time, right? So, I mean, uh, mean, when I was watching along with them, there were 12 buses along Gallatin Pike, and they could see which ones were ahead or behind schedule, and they can um, try to make those adjustments in real time. I think the other, the bigger thing, you know, they can then add up all of this data, you know, day after day, week after week, um, to try to do some analysis. So each month, WeGo says they collect 500,000 bits of data. So mm. that's like every time the bus is making it to a stop and moving along. Um, so they can crunch that into charts and analyze it. And uh, Freudberg, he told me that all of that can go into their routes and to figuring out their schedules. And they can look at things like not just what it takes on a typical day, but also how long does it take on some of the the worst days. We have all this new information that we just didn't have access to before. How do we make sense of it all? And saying, okay, well, we've got, you know, 20 terabytes of, of information from this system here on, on, you know, on our network. What do we do with it? So it's pretty clear that, you know, WeGo can still do more with all of this information, but they they are trying to use it day to day. It also sends, uh, you know, better data into like uh, travel apps like Google Maps. There's another app called Transit. A lot of bus riders riders use that one because it shows exactly where their bus is and like how close it is to getting to their stop. Um, so there is more they can do, but they're they're starting to kind of get into the the big data kind of setup. So you know you've been reporting on this for several years. Is it fair to say this is a little bit of a passion for you? Uh, yeah, I'm 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 into it. I, I like figuring out what's going on on the streets out there. Uh, trying to just figure out, you know, why why is the bus on time one day or late another time? Um, yeah, I'm into it. You know, we go. A lot has changed over the past few years since you've been covering this. Can you walk us through a little bit of WeGo's timeline? Yeah, I mean, just as as a reporter here, um, I think you know the big thing people think about back in 2018. Uh, that's when there was this mass transit referendum. This was like huge proposal. It would have raised some taxes in order to put more money into bus service, and also it would have created five uh, light rail train lines. Um, but that was defeated. I mean, voters uh, they rejected that referendum by a pretty wide margin. Um, and and one of the things in 2018, one of the main critiques at that point was a lot of people, um, they were saying, you know, let's not do light rail and some of these other ideas yet. Can we just figure out how to run the better, you know, a better bus service first? Mm. Um, so that was one of the messages that I think a lot of people were saying at that point. So people have had this desire, you know, for better bus service, more buses, more frequent buses. Um, they've made that pretty clear over the years. I mean, people have also filled out like surveys and there have been focus groups and all this other planning. So um, so in 2018, I think the message was, let's improve the bus service. So since the failed referendum, has WeGo been able to make moves on creating a better bus service? Yeah, uh, somewhat. I mean, there was actually an additional setback then in 2019. So WeGo actually had to cut back. Instead of, instead of adding more bus service, they actually mm-hmm. had to cut back. There just wasn't enough funding that year. So they actually eliminated some bus routes. Um, people were not 
very happy about that. They also increased the cost of a fare at that point. Um, but at the same time, I, I think one of the things that people didn't really know was kind of going around behind, going on behind the scenes was they had this project called the Better Bus like analysis or better bus initiative, they were using some of this data we talked about and really trying to figure out um, where's the high ridership, what kind of hours make the most sense, where's the demand. Um, so around that time, they started trying to kind of roll out this data. Um, and the bigger idea was just to, to give people, to give bus riders what they were asking for, which was more frequent bus service and also longer hours, meaning like you know, once you get late enough at night, there's no bus anymore. Mm -hmm. They've been trying to extend those bus hours later into the night. Then the pandemic hits. That <laughs> yeah. couldn't have helped. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they're, they're doing what they can with the data. Then there's the pandemic that, you know, really, you know, that just slashed the transit ridership. Um, I think we go is back now to, I think 80% of the bus ridership that they had before COVID hit. Um, they've also essentially built back all of their hours. They've actually added slightly more um, uh, hours than what they had before. They've also been adding a lot of sheltered bus stops. That's mm -hmm. something that's been kind of going on year to year. I think they've added something like 100 uh, bus shelter. It used to be like a bench yeah. or just a sign. And now they've got uh, these shelters at, I think, like 100 more um, bus stops. So they've been you know, working on all of that in the background. So what comes next for WeGo? I think in the spring, we might see some bigger changes. Um, they are thinking about adding more of those late night bus trips. So they're proposing uh, buses running until 1.15 a.m. Monday through Saturday. So a little bit beyond midnight mm -hmm. um, on some of the major routes. They're still working on some new transit centers, which are sort of like bigger bus stations in neighborhoods. Uh, I, I was also told WeGo is going to work on a new study of their bus rider demographics to know who's riding the bus and sort of what they want. Um, most of their data on that is at least five years old. Um, so, you know, when you're running a bus system, I guess it never really ends. The work does not end. They're just constantly kind of tweaking the network. And I think we'll see some more changes uh, come in the spring. That's our fill-in producer and WPLN editor, Tony Gonzalez. Tony, thanks again for this breakdown. Yeah, thanks, Khalil. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue this rebroadcast of an episode about the state of WeGo. How has WeGo rebounded from the pandemic? What worked and what hasn't. This is Nashville. We'll be right back. But first, please enjoy this Busta Rhymes track. You know the one. Do the bus a bus. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Voters sent a strong message to city leaders back in 2018 when they rejected a sprawling mass transit proposal. That message fixed the bus system we've got before dreaming so big. We go set to work. But then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. That slowed everything down, including the overhaul on our current bus system. It all but crushed ridership. But last year, ridership rebounded by 80%. This hour, we're re-airing our October episode all about the state of WeGo. 
And our next guest certainly knows a lot about all of the above. Trey Walker is WeGo's Chief Development Officer, and he joined us in studio last fall. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, my friend. So, all right, I know you work at WeGo, but I have to know this. Do you ride the bus? I do. So I live, uh, fortunate to live in the Wedgwood Houston neighborhood, so really close to downtown. And uh, along Nolensville Pike and along many of our major corridors, we have really frequent bus service. Um, and so I enjoy when I'm working downtown all day um, and have that commute trip, take that on the bus. I just walk right off my back, uh, out my back door, walk down Hart Street, catch the bus at 2nd and Hart in downtown, easy as can be. I need on to- the trip home. The stop's even closer because I'm on the Fourth Avenue side, so okay. I just hop right off at Rains Avenue and I'm and I'm home. Okay, I need you to be completely honest. Are you pleased with the service on major corridors during um, our peak hours? Service is convenient. Service is fast. And the areas where we're looking to improve are how do we provide that frequency that makes those easy connections? You know what? I, the trip I just described to you. It's a very direct trip. It's mm-hmm. from a couple miles out of downtown to downtown. Um, how do we expand those connections to where that, you know, one hour timeline of travel can expand to larger parts of the county? And those are the areas where we're looking to focus All right. uh, service improvements. As you know, as I mentioned, the pandemic crushed ridership, but help us understand just how bad was the impact of the pandemic on our bus system? Yeah. So initially, um, March 2020, uh, we all we all know what happened um, and the world kind of came to a stop. Um but WeGo Public Transit was identified as an essential service for the city, um, and we kept running. We never, we never shut down. We, we limited some hours, limited some trips. We wanted to protect our employees just like everybody else did. Um, and with that, we saw a lot of discretionary trips, folks that work downtown, school students certainly, um, and a lot of you know, people that are riding for those discretionary trips. You know, Like I was just describing, if I'm going to an event or something for my house, um, that stopped. So we went down to about 50% of our ridership. Um, all told, uh, and about 40 even, 40% even in April of 2020. Since um, about the fall, spring and fall of 2021, as things started coming back together, um, and we started actually adding service back in the fall um, fall of 2021 and improving our service levels, we have seen a drastic rebound. And when we add service back, we're doing that to, primarily we've added that service on our main corridors. So right now, service on Dickerson Pike, for example, has about a 12-minute um, service cycle on the corridor, 12-minute frequency. That's half of what it was pre-pandemic. So we've been able to reallocate our resources that were maybe for commuter patterns that aren't quite um, within within Davidson County, that aren't quite the same, maybe some local routes that were serving, um, you know, kind of in, in neighborhoods and, and doing long circulator trips. We were able to focus that on our main corridors. And we saw a, um, a really uh, quicker response in our ridership along those corridors. So right now, present day, um, on Saturdays and Sundays, we're above pre-pandemic levels. Okay. And on weekdays, we're at about um, 85% of pre-pandemic levels. So we've been able to make those frequency improvements. And if you're on a main corridor in Nashville, bus service today, um, particularly during those peak hours, you know, late at night, service service tapers off a little bit. But particularly during those peak hours, service is more frequent than it was three years ago. So, you know, I encourage everybody to take a look at, you know, the transit app and, and our schedules and see, you know, are there some are there some convenience trips that were there that maybe you weren't relying on transit uh, to provide that option beforehand? You gave us a little bit of an example, but what was going into the thinking of how WeGo worked to rebound from the hit caused by the pandemic? So a lot of it was um, 
kind of the the, the market of of the pandemic. We want we knew we wanted to space people out. We didn't want overcrowding on our buses. We wanted to provide safe trips. We want to take care of our employees. Um, and so when we start looking at putting service back on corridors, it was we had we deployed a method of having buses stationed throughout the county so that if an operator saw some crowding taking place on their bus, they could they could place a call on a main corridor and we would have buses stationed to be able to insert an additional bus to help that overcrowding issues. So that was some of the um, initial steps that we took. Um, and as we continued that, we saw service trends come back um, and service come back on the main corridors. So those essential trips, the folks that never stopped riding uh, transit, the grocery store clerks, the hospital attendants, um, things of that nature that, that never left public transit, uh, they continued to ride. Um, and then we continued as we added frequency to those main corridors, seeing ridership rebound faster on those corridors. Um, which also helped, you know, with any sort of overcrowding potential and things of that nature. You know, earlier in the show, our fill-in producer, Tony Gonzalez, talked about the multi-year effort to try to add more frequent buses and longer hours. You know, let's get into that. How would you compare where things stood just before the pandemic versus today? Yeah, I'll use the example of our frequent uh, transit network. And so those are, the, like I said, the main corridors in Nashville, Murfreesboro Pike, Gallatin Pike, Dickerson Pike, Nolensville, Charlotte, the West End Corridor, Hillsboro, the Franklin Pike Corridor. We've added frequency uh, to all of those corridors um, and can look to continue to do that um, in our next step of service changes. So some things that we have conceptually uh, lined up for our spring service changes are um, an expansion of our service hours. So right now we have buses running to 12.15 at night on those major corridors. We're looking to expand that to 1.15 in the morning. We're looking at improved frequencies midday on the Route 7 and Route 8. One trend that we've seen in the pandemic that I haven't touched on yet is that we see um, flatter peaks. So not necessarily those huge commuter peaks, but actually a spread out peak all day. So we see, we're seeing higher ridership uh, midday when you're comparing it to that three to six window in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And so adding that frequency for those people making trips midday is something that we're looking to fill in on. And then also expanding span and frequency on our crosstown routes. So now that we've got the, the backbones right, and we've got the corridors with substantial service along those corridors, how can we help people connect between those corridors that doesn't necessitate that downtown trip? And our efforts with transit centers, we opened our transit center um, our Hillsborough Transit Center in March of this year. And we're nearing groundbreaking for our North Nashville Transit Center in about a month. Uh, Hillsborough has two routes that connect to it, so you can connect to those two neighborhoods. Um, the, the two areas in, that um, fall on those routes, our North Nashville Transit Center will connect five present-day routes, and we hope to expand that um, with the future uh, crosstown connection on Trinity Lane. Now I'd like to bring in a bus rider. Beth Sims has been making the commute from Spring Hill to Vanderbilt for 15 years, that's a long time. Beth, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So good to have you with us. So tell me, how did you become a bus rider? Well, uh, basically because I live so far away. I live in Columbia, but I work at Vanderbilt University at the School of Nursing. And um, it's just convenient. Um, it's uh, free for all Vanderbilt employees. We just have to swipe our uh, ID badge and um, it just saves a lot of money mm. and wear and tear on my vehicle. Now, now give me a look. Give me the skinny on your commute. What would it be like if you were driving to work every day? 
Oh, goodness. Fighting that traffic with the increase in um, in people moving to our area is just could just be a nightmare. Uh, this way, I can sit back in a nice big Greyhound type bus and um, do whatever I want to read or whatever and let someone else do the driving. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you were able to find an alternative through the Regional Transit Authority's Vanpool service. Tell me, how does that Correct. service how does that service yes. work? Uh, well, I did that in the beginning before the pandemic, and uh, a group of uh, commuters will get together, contact the Regional Transit Authority, and uh, we will rent a uh, van from them. And um, they also give us a gas card as part of that. We all, whoever rides the van, split the cost of that every month. Um, and but the downside to that is it's not free and everyone has to share in doing the driving. Mm, that could be difficult to schedule, huh? Yes, definitely. Now, now tell me, how did the pandemic really affect your life as a bus rider? Well, it sent me home for 18 months. Um we all had to work uh, remotely, so um, you know there was no commute because we just all worked from home. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about our bus system and how it's rebounding from the pandemic. Trey Walker from WeGo is still with us. We got a tweet at this is Nashville from a user woo underscore ten. Please ask Trey what we are doing to prevent bus bunching. It's extremely bad on Murfreesboro Pike. Sometimes there will be periods of 30 minutes where no bus comes and then three buses come within 10 minutes. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a difficult scenario. As, as we're talking about commuting patterns and how we've seen uh, our roadways get more busy as we've, as we've come in the, maybe the last year or so. So when we're monitoring our on-time performance, uh, we were in the, you know, mid-90s. And, you know, as, a, as an agency, we're, we're looking to be in the upper 80s, you mm-hmm. know, looking at that schedule predictability. Um, we were up in the mid-90s when the roads were clear, right? You can run an easier service when there's not as much competition out there, you know, not as, not as many vehicles um, in the same lane space. Over the last six months or so, we've seen that drop back into that upper 80s range. And one of the side effects of that is that, is that bus bunching. And I think to the, to the segment earlier regarding um, some of our technological solutions and how we manage our headways and that spacing between buses and shifting from more of a schedule-based model to an active-based model, um, particularly when we're looking at um, services frequent as 10 minutes on Murfreesboro Pike and, and potentially going more frequent than that, it really becomes more, more important to know, okay, my bus is coming in six minutes as it is, you know, I've got to be at the bus at 1235, you mm-hmm. know? So it's definitely a challenge right now as the roadways are uh, are becoming more congested and something we're looking to deploy um, on within pilot programs that we can take countywide, um, as we referenced in the previous segment on Charlotte Pike. All right, so Steve Bland, WeGo CEO, said that he wants bus service to be so dependable that people can throw away the bus schedule and know that if they walk up and go to a bus stop, a bus will soon arrive to pick them up. It's quite an ambitious idea. Can the city make it to that level of service? It's ambitious, um, and it's something that that I personally witness when I'm riding the 52 near my house. Um, I don't need to worry about that. And that that frequency, having that frequency, is it's freedom to your trip. I can tell you that, you know, because 
if, if something happens, if you're a couple minutes late out the door and then you got to wait 20, 30 minutes, I mean, that can really hurt your commute, hurt, the, hurt your ability to get around. Um, but we have improved that. We actually have some um, across a lot of areas within the county, within our frequent transit network, we have that for parts of the day. And I think our next steps are looking to expand that and looking to, looking to expand that and improve those connections to those routes that do run less frequent, those routes that are, um, you know, local uh, circulators in those crosstowns. I want to get back to Beth Sims. Beth, simple question. Are you happy with your decision to switch to the regional bus service? Oh, most definitely. Um, it, I mean, we, we've become the same people ride almost every day. and We've become our own little community. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's great because I mean, it's free for us, for Vanderbilt and state employees. And, um, it, it just it's a no brainer for me. How much of a difference does it make that, you know, these costs are covered and that it's free for you? Well, I mean, it's extending the the life of my car. Um, I don't have to pay for parking on campus mm-hmm. and it also cuts down on my stress. Are you recruiting others to start riding the bus or joining this a service like yours? Oh, yes, most definitely. Anybody wants to to ride the 95 bus from uh, Spring Hill to uh, Vanderbilt in downtown Nashville, we would love to have you. <laughs> More people to join the community. Now, you know, Trey, what about people who don't necessarily need to use WeGo on a daily basis to get back and forth to work or running errands? What is WeGo doing to court more bus riders? Yeah, so what we have, this, this last summer we had a, a promotional program um, called WeGoCations. We had several venues across town that we partnered with, and we were working with uh, promoting our new fare collection system, which is called Quick Ticket. Um, and we partnered with those venues and if you showed your quick ticket card you got uh, half off your admission whether it be the zoo or the frist um, or, or some of our other partners and so what what I think promotions like that do is it enables people to start thinking okay can I make that trip to the frist can I make that a transit trip if I live you know in Bellevue and start thinking through that consulting our schedule seeing that you know there is some there is some convenient service there there is improved frequency um, and start start inching out I know it can be intimidating taking that first bus ride and thinking, okay, do I have the right, do I have the right payment method? Do I have the right time? Am I staying at the stop on the right side of the street? So it can be intimidating, but, but, um, becoming approachable and making folks know that it's, um, easy and creating good partnerships for where, where trips can be made, starting looking at those discretionary trips, um, is a good entry point for, for most folks. And I encourage people to do that. Are you all like working on discretionary trips for events like Titans or Predators games as well? We do, yeah. So we have um, we have our Game Day Express that we run along the Music City Star Line, or the WeGo Star Line, excuse me. Um, and as far as service to to Predators games, you know, a lot of a lot of our service kind of terminates downtown, right? And so a lot of those those routes can be utilized um, for service to those events and and concerts in the area as well. What else can we look out for from WeGo? I want to know a little bit about our uh, our. Uh, Transit center development, like I said, we're breaking ground in North Nashville here in the next couple months. Excited to see that project come online. And really the service, that having a facility that, you know, has bus service occasionally isn't isn't that great. But I'm really excited about the amount of service we're going to be able to put in there and the connections that we're going to be able to make in that neighborhood and across town as we re- put some of our across town uh, trips into that station as well. So that'll be coming up at the corner of 26th and Clarksville starting in the next couple months. Um and as what was mentioned earlier, we're really moving a lot in our partnerships with the Nashville Department of Transportation. 
uh, on bus stop improvements. We've improved about 35 stops within the last 14 months alone and have another 35 to 40 in the works. And a lot of those are in concert with uh, pedestrian safety initiatives with mm-hmm. Nashville Department of Transportation. On the 12th Avenue bikeway project that's taking place on our Route 17, um, we have about 14 stops that are being improved as part of that project. We're going to come alongside and dot and provide um, solar lighting and shelter and bus stop amenities. Um, but all that's improving that pedestrian environment. Once again, making it less intimidating to get to our pikes where we have frequent service that can move people conveniently. All right. We got another tweet at This Is Nashville from Twitter user Tommy Line Weaver. Quote, I've studied the Netherlands. Most towns and cities are designed around buses, trains, biking, and walking. In the U.S., everything is car-centered. How do we fix it? Government overrides the voters. Trey, this is a really big question. So what are your thoughts? So Nashville is laid out. You know, it, it is um, – it was a dense – local areas as it developed, um, but also did kind of evolve kind of that mid-century car-centric environment. So we kind of have tight right-of-ways, and as we start to emerge from downtown environments, really sprawling areas. And so it's it's a difficult combination um, for our transit service. And so it's how do we keep things um, predictable? How do we have space to be able to operate? to, to have lines that are focused on those corridors? Um, and then how do we have that reliability um, when we start getting out of town? Because if you get bogged up downtown, you don't have that reliability out of it. Um, and so how do we have that reliability and those station accommodations in the more suburban parts of our county and our region um, that people can hop on and, and feel safe? Trey Walker is the chief development officer at WeGo. He was joined by Beth Sims, Spring Hill resident and longtime bus rider. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast of our October episode about the state of WeGo. When we come back, we'll invite a few more experienced writers into the conversation to get their thoughts on the latest updates and ask what they'd like to see change for the future. We'll be right back. This is Nashville. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. I've lived in cities where cars are the predominant mode of transportation, so I tried that for a while. But honestly, the stress of traffic and bad drivers became too much. For me, it was no way to start the day or end it. So I take the bus. While it's not hassle-free, I found it a lot more pleasant. And if you're like me and grew up riding the bus, you know it's kind of a rite of passage, a measure of freedom and responsibility to get to where you need to be and be safe while traveling. Experienced bus riders have a deep knowledge of not only the city streets, but the needs of people who rely on mass transit to live their lives. My next guest can relate. John Bull is a longtime rider who arguably knows Nashville's bus system better than anyone. John, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. So you took the bus here today, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell me, why do you ride? It's a couple of things. One, I don't harass my fellow drivers when I am driving, mm-hmm. which uh, is, is good for their blood pressure, and I won't run over any pedestrians. And also, uh, getting a senior discount 
$33, $36 a month using the quick ticket is, uh, as they say, a good deal. No no road road rage and pedestrian safety and a discount. It yeah. sounds like fantastic reasons to take the bus. T- tell me, what type of trips are you taking? Uh, we'll take today. Uh, 5.35 in the morning, took a bus, think Southern Hills Hospital on 52 inbound to uh, Coleman Recreation Center. That's 15 minutes. Uh, ran for an hour. Beautiful sunrise. Magnificent sunrise. Uh, came back uh, and um, prepped to, to come here, and I left it at 10.30, arrived here as scheduled, uh, changing at the main bus station, at, uh, and arrived here at 11.45, uh, exactly when I was programmed to be here. And uh, that, that that's typical. Uh, one thing, 52 is one of those main uh, trunk routes, and uh, I always check on my neck book when the next bus will be there. And um, it's accurate within four minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I walk three minutes to the bus stop, and we're good to go. Uh, that's uh, that's typical of what I usually do in the morning. All right. The fact that you were up at 4.30 and ran miles and saw the sunrise before I woke up makes me feel Pretty guilty. I'm going to have to get on it a little bit. You're, you're an inspiration, sir. Now, you're also an avid writer, and you're also a pretty engaged writer. If you were a hazard to guests, how many, you know, we-go board meetings have you think you've been to over the years? Started after uh, people decided they did not want to fund rail, uh, my take on it, uh, Ever since then, I had been to all the WeGo board meetings, without exception, until COVID raised its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I would make a public comment, uh, some suggestions, uh, some ideas. Uh, what is now Route 75, I think my input uh, had a lot to do with that. Um, and... Um, I think some of my input at the Rego meetings to extend the hours. Um, that was that was also uh, that was some input. It's a uh, it's it's I think it's a positive thing to have input to the board. Uh, it's uh, so, so they know what the riders think and feel. Yes, uh, sir. One of the positives, and this is not a slam on Rego. I'm holding up a $2 bill, is Metro needs to properly fund uh, the mass transit system. We've had a half century, in my opinion, of uh, inadequate funding, and uh, that's, uh, that's something that, uh, that needs to be addressed. That's something that needs to be addressed. All right. I want to bring in my next guest, another bus rider. Lisa Kim is a senior at Hume Fogg High School and is a member of WeGo's Public Trans- Transit Youth Action Team. Lisa, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to have you with us. So tell me, how often are you riding the bus? 
So I've been riding the bus since middle school, specifically since seventh grade. And I would always ride the bus after school to my mom's workplace. So my parents work near Vanderbilt and they don't have the time to like pick me up after school and bring me back home or anything like that. So since middle school, my sisters and I have been riding the bus to my parents' workplace like nearly every single day, like five days every school day. Now, take me back to seventh grade. Do you remember your first experience riding the, the bus? Yes, I was slightly scared, but luckily I was doing it with friends, so I could depend on them. But one embarrassing thing is that I didn't know I was supposed to like pull the, the silver cord to indicate that I, I wanted to stop. Okay. So I almost missed my bus stop, but <laughs> luckily I caught it on time and I was able to get off at the right stop. I'll tell you this. Forgetting to pull the cord is a lot better than sleeping past your stop, which I have done. Oh, I've done that, too. Yeah. I've done that, too. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those things. Now, like, how helpful was it to have, like, your family and friends teach you the ins and outs of public transportation? Oh, super helpful, because I feel like one of the main reasons why kids and students in general or just people in general feel a bit uncomfortable to ride the bus is just getting through that first that first bus ride but because I had my sisters tell me and my like parents like being there for me like for example like in eighth grade I had to ride two buses to get to my middle school and I my mom she actually rode the bus with me like before school started and we went through the route together and so that was extremely helpful so it's definitely important to have like a community around you and I would say like for your bu first bus ride it wouldn't it would be super helpful if you had like a friend to go with, whether you're going to like the mall or the movies. So now you are educating your peers about mass transit as a part of WeGo's <laughs> public transit youth action team. Tell me, what is yes. that? What's the action team trying to do? Yes. Yeah, so to give you guys some background information, we're a team of eight high school students from across Nashville, and we really work to advocate public transportation use specifically amongst the youth. So we like to focus on middle schoolers and underclassmen in high school since we felt like that's typically the age group where, you know, you don't have your license yet, you don't have a permit or access to a car. So we really depend on public transit. So we like to focus on promoting the use of Stride, which is a program where you get your school ID, but it also doubles as a free bus pass. So a lot of students don't know this, but you can use your school ID to scan and ride the bus for free. Mm -hmm. um, and in the past, what we've done is we've created surveys to figure out, you know, like, why are some kids hesitant to ride the bus? And from these surveys, we've learned that, number one thing, kids just don't know how to ride the bus. Like, that's not something that every school, every middle school, high school teaches people. So, like, at Hume Fog, riding the bus is so common that even during orientation, we have, like, a quick segment of how to ride the bus. So we want to work towards getting into contact with middle schoolers, especially this year since we're more in person and get in contact with middle schoolers and go to their orientations or go to their like after school programs and teach kids how to ride the bus. Um, and another thing we've gained from those surveys is that we've learned that a lot of kids' parents are actually extremely worried for the kids' safety. And I feel like major reason is because there's just a lot of negative stereotypes about the bus, whether it's the cleanliness of the bus or the safety around it. So we try to combat that by posting social media posts where we break down stereotypes and also try to explain how to ride the bus. And we've even gone over um, the better bus plan, like breaking that out, breaking that down to 
um, allow the youth as an audience to learn more about, you know, the lack of funding that we have and some improvements that we'd like to make. Um, so, you know, we've collected surveys. We like to post social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also even created a YouTube video last year, which was super fun, where we got to actually get on one of the WeGo buses and film a video on specifically how to ride the bus and which apps to use to like plan out your bus routes and all that stuff. So, awesome. yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about Nashville's bus system. I want to bring in another bus rider. Stacy Irvin is a photographer from East Nashville who lives with multiple sclerosis. She's used Access Ride to schedule trips. She actually recorded her first trip for a previous episode of ours that aired in July. But this is her first time as a guest. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. So, you know, I understand you've not scheduled rides lately on Access. Why is that? Um, I've had uh, um, more family in town, and, um, and so they are able to transport me. Um, and uh, also just dealing with kind of heat uh, intolerance through the summer, um, spending a little less time getting out and about, but, uh, but I'm, I love utilizing access ride when, um, I don't have, um, someone to take me somewhere, or if I want to save a friend a trip and I can meet them, um, you know, wherever we're, we're going. Um, it's been, so convenient. And, um, I drive like a little motorized chair. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, to just leave my front door and drive up my driveway and onto, uh, the platform and they raise me up and, um, lock me into place, uh, with the belt. So my, um, chair is secure and I am, it's just, great. The drivers are really friendly, um, and helpful. Um, so it's a wonderful service. So you, you, I would fair, fair to say that you plan on continuing to use the access service, huh? I do. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I can. Um, and, uh, I'm hopefully getting a, um, even fancier, uh, power chair that, uh, won't be, it'll be too heavy for friends to, um, fold up and put in the car. The one I have now is about 60 pounds and it's easy, um, for friends to take me if, uh, if I'm not using access ride, but if I get a little more comfortable chair in the future, I'll, and I don't have my own, uh, van for that, which I may get at some point, but access ride, uh, definitely will be key for, for a heavier chair. Now, Access, um, Access Ride is helping you out a lot, and I'm glad it's working. But tell me, yeah, what would you like to see change? Well, you know, um, I have to say probably the ticket um, system, I, I would love to see that kind of um, upgraded. Because right now, I mean, the price is amazingly affordable it's three dollars and 70 cents one way um but you can buy these little access ride tickets um and you have to order them you can't order them online anymore you have to call and place your order 
Um, and then, um, if they mail it to you, they charge $5 now, mm. which is pretty steep for just small paper things. Um, and then, uh, not all of the vehicles take those tickets. So if, if you're in a different vehicle, you have to have exact change. Um, or if you are in, in a access ride shuttle that has the little, um, kiosk thing, they can give you change, but in the form of a ticket that, um, has like maybe 30 cents or whatever the, the change was. And it's just complicated. So I have like little ticket stubs with change on it. I have a bag of quarters and dimes and nickels. And, you know, I'm trying to always have exact change. And then if I want to avoid the $5 mailing fee, someone will have to go down to the main terminal to pick up the tickets and they're going to have to figure out a place to park, you know, (laughs) to get it. So, so for someone who can't drive themselves and would have to rely on, you know, I I think, you know, it'd be nice to have an app I could buy, you know, they could scan on my phone or, you know, just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of bring it up to date to make the up to date, make the payment options and ticketing process a lot more easier and a lot more streamlined for you. So, yes. you know, John Bull, John Bull is still with us. You are a master bus rider. I'd like to hear, you know, what changes from WeGo have you noticed that are have really been helpful? Uh, well, the, the big deal is the main line I, I always take to, to get out from a place. 52 is running much more often and much later. And I'm looking forward in the spring when the, the last bus will leave downtown, the main the central station at one fifteen, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, crosstown routes, they are are not completely running as late, or for that matter, on the same day as as the trunk lines. For example, seventy seven, which goes by the uh, magnificent soccer stadium at the fairgrounds. Uh, 77 goes right down the, through the front entrance, but uh, it's not it's not running on Sunday where they play a lot of the games. Uh, when the Crosstown connectors get up to the same frequency and extension mm-hmm. as the trunk lines, those, those are the two things. And, of course, uh, the uh, using Uber to get to the bus stop is, is a good deal. Uh, Give me the one change. I've got about two minutes left, and I want to get to Lisa really quick. Give me the one change you would like to see WeGo make, the top uh, priority for you. Uh, the uh, to fund fully the uh, the Uber ride to the uh, to the bus stops in in the zones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Lisa, you've been riding the bus for years. You've been educating your peers on how to ride the bus. Tell me. What are some changes you would like to see from WeGo as far as making the the mass transit system experience better for everyone? Um, In addition to just like increasing frequency of buses, I would like to also like address like if certain bus stops don't really have like 
sidewalks that make them accessible to get to. And I feel like that's a really big issue because if it's not safe to walk to a bus stop, then it's difficult to get there and to ride the bus. So that in addition with having more um, transit areas where people can wait for their buses because sometimes whether it's due to weather or something like that, they're just the benches, there's not enough benches to fit everyone. So I would say, you know, focusing on sidewalks and safer uh, bus stop areas. Okay, so I have this question. I'd like each of you to to respond, either agree or disagree. In all the cities I've lived in during the holiday season for about two weeks, all mass transit is free. John, do you agree with that idea? Yes. Lisa? Yes. Stacy, how about you? Yes. All right. So there we have it. The poll of expert bus riders and this one humble host's opinion. Possibly WeGo can present some free bus rides during the holiday season for everyone. I want to thank all of my guests for being with us. Master bus rider John Bull. He was joined by Hume Fogg Sr., Lisa Kim, and photographer and East Nashville resident Stacey Irvin. Thanks to you all for being here, and I'll see you all on the bus. We're going to go out today on the bus song by artist Jay Som. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast of our October episode on the state of WeGo. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new show for you, all about electric vehicles. Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Tony Gonzalez, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Le Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Take time to figure it out.